Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Let's have Kevin read our purpose statement and Sangha Gala. It's always good to refer to these every now and then. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center Purpose Statement. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddha's Dhamma initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct, mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. It is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life, the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering Branding Ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Becoming VBCRMC Sangha Class Guidelines. Padimoksha means towards liberation. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused Sangha and establish the most effective environment for Dhamma practice, always focused on liberation from ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos in the world and the ideological contradictions and foundational confusion prevalent in modern Buddhism by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes a skillful balance of jhana meditation, sutta study, sangha participation, and daily individual dhamma practice. When gathered for dhamma class, we refer only to the Buddha's dhamma as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as, gathered as a Sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our Sangha. When gathered as a Sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a Sangha, we practice wise restraint. Questions or confusion about verbiage or arising from comparisons to other modern Buddhist, Buddhist practices Modern Buddhist teachers or what they are teaching are not part of our Dhamma classes or Sangha discussions and should be addressed directly to our teachers outside of Dhamma class. <clears throat> Individual class suttas are linked in our newsletter for home study prior to class. Thank you, Kevin. So tonight's sutta class eight in our 34 class review of Jhana is the Kimsuka, Kimsuka Sutta, um, also known as the Handful of Leaves Sutta. Is it no? Swift pair of messages. What's that? Swift pair of messages. Yeah, swift pair of messages. Too many suttas stuck in this old head. Um, and it points to the um, the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. So um, the Eightfold Path characterized by the Buddha as the middle way between extreme views. So the Eightfold Path is designed to limit us in our life. So we stop grasping after everything and settle into a calm and peaceful mind, a calm and peaceful life. We recognize greed and aversion rooted in deluded thinking, and so abandon them. And this, um, 
Let me, let me read the sutras before I try to over-explain it. The two monks of the Buddha Sangha were talking. One asked the other, to what extent is one's vision said to be well purified? They're also talking about awakened right view. The answer, when one knows as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the sixth sense face. The sixth sense faces are five physical senses and the sixth sense of consciousness. And that's something that's referred to often. It is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. So what this first monk is saying, that once someone understands the arising and the passing away of all things in relation to the sixth sense face, that person's vision is well purified. Right, but it's interesting where this goes. Dissatisfied with this answer, he asks another monk the same question. And the answer is, well, when one knows as it actually is the origination and the passing away of the five clinging aggregates, another key theme of the Dhamma. It is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. So what is it? Still dissatisfied, he asks another monk the same question. And the answer, when one knows as it actually is the arising and passing away of the four great elements, earth, fire, wind, and water. It is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. Again, what is it? Still dissatisfied, he asks another monk the same question. When one knows as it actually is that all conditioned things are subject to cessation, it is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. Still dissatisfied, he seeks the Buddha. He asks him of the he tells him of the answers to these questions. The Buddha replies, friends, it is as if a man had never seen a certain tree that changes appearance often, a difficult to describe tree, a riddle tree. He would ask someone to describe the riddle tree. They say that this tree is black and black as a burnt stump. This is how the tree looked at the time. Dissatisfied with the answer, they seek, they seek another to describe the riddle tree, the tree. They tell him that this tree has no bark and its pods explode. This is how the tree looked at the time. Dissatisfied with the answer, they ask another to describe a riddle tree. They tell him that the tree has thick foliage with dense shade. This is how the tree looked at the time. The Buddha continues. <coughs> without coughing. <coughs> In the same way, what these people of integrity were focused on when their vision became well purified is the way that they answered. It's what they saw at the time. The Buddha says, suppose, friend, that, that there were a royal frontier fortress with strong walls and ramparts and six gates. In it would be a wise, experienced, intelligent gatekeeper to keep out those he didn't know and to let in those he did, guarding his mind. A swift pair of messengers coming from the east would say to the gatekeeper, where, my good man, is the commander of this fortress? He would say, there he is, sir, sitting in the central square. The swift pair of messengers delivering their accurate report to the commander of the fortress would then go back by the route by which they had come. Then a swift pair of messengers coming from the west, then north, then the south would say to the gatekeeper, where my good man is the commander of this fortress. He would say, there he is, sir, sitting in the central square. 
the Swift, the Swift pair of messengers delivering their accurate report to the commander of the fortress would then go back by the route by which they had came, a route they knew. Then the Buddha says, I have given you a simile, friend, to convey a message. The message is this. The fortress stands for this body, our bodies, composed of four elements, born of mother and father, nourished with rice and barley gruel, subject to constant rubbing and abrasion, right? Life has its impact on us, does it? To breaking and falling apart. The sixth gate stands for the six internal sense media, the sixth sense gate, right? The six senses. What we use to come in contact with the world, right? That's how every human being um, engages with the world is through our senses. If we didn't have these senses or didn't know how to use them, we would just be lumps of flesh. We wouldn't be able to ambulate at all. So the sixth sense base is how we come in contact with the world and how we interpret what we're coming in contact with will determine our experience. Another way for saying how we interpret it, what are we holding in mind? What's the level of our refined mindfulness in this moment? The swift pair of messengers stand for tranquility and insight. The commander of the fortress stands for consciousness. Me, I am the, I am the commander, all of us are the commander of our fortress. The commander of the fortress stands for consciousness. The central square stands for the four great elements, earth, wind, fire, and water, what we're made up of. Again, what we're describing here is a mind united in its body, a fortress united by the central square, by the commander. The four great elements, the earth property, the liquid property, the fire property, and the wind property. The accurate report stands for unbinding. Now we understand. We've, we've, we've learned the truth. We're experiencing reality. The accurate report stands for unbinding. The route by which they had come stands for, stands for the noble eightfold path. The route by which they had come is a noble eightfold path. Again, the noble eightfold path is a limiting path. It's, it's designed to keep us on the rails of the Dhamma, if you will. But it's also there to let us know when we're off the Dhamma in a very gentle way. Not in a harsh way, not in a judgmental way. The noble eightfold path, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. The end of the sutra. Um, and so I almost always and almost everywhere you see the, the eight factors of the eightfold path portrayed that way, right mindfulness, right meditation. Um, I think it's the most controversial free way of saying it, but you could also say unskillful or skillful, right? Or appropriate or inappropriate. Because in relation to the Dhamma, it's understanding that limiting factor of the Eightfold Path is also my path to liberation, right? The Eightfold Path, when first engaged in, begins to liberate ourselves from entanglements in the world, and most of us notice it rather quickly. But as we deepen our practice, we start realizing, Ram, you might want to talk about this, maybe, that the Eightfold Path is actually the path that limits our, our view enough to stay focused on only what's important. And what is only what's important is this present moment. How am I interacting or coming in contact with 
Am I prepared? Is my mind prepared well enough to come in contact with the world in this moment? Or am I too scattered or too, too aggravated? Let's bring in the Eightfold Path and let's see what I see now. Is my view reflective of these things that I'm uh, aspiring to? Is it reflective of right speech, right action, right livelihood? In this moment, am I engaged in right effort? Am I engaged in right mindfulness? Am I engaged in right meditation? Is my mind well concentrated or scattered? And again, all that the sutta is saying, come back to the commander. Back to the center of the square. Right? This is where we live. This is where human beings live in this moment. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not when things get better or not when things get worse. Right here, right now. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what, what's going on in our world, awakening is right here, right now. So let's go around. I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm going to start with Jane first, as always. It is a Hello, Jane. Hi, John. Oh, thank you for the teaching. I like the idea of, you know, the command center. It starts right here. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. Hello, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, Sangha. Um, Hello, Jeff. Right here and right now has been a long day for me, so I don't know what I could add, so I'll remain silent. Uh, I'm glad you joined us. Please tell Deborah I said hello. Which hello, I, Brian. Hello. I found it interesting this time through that there was no exchange between the commander and the messenger. That the... There's, a, there's another analogy nested in there that consciousness doesn't need to attach to the sensory activity. It's just phenomena arising and passing away. Yeah, it's, it's then just the interpretive agent, isn't it? Which is mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be. Right. You know, that's what our, our thinking is meant to be the interpretive agent for what's occurring right here, right now, framed by the Eightfold Path. Did everybody get that, what I just said? I can't say it again. The, uh, yeah, our, our, our consciousness is meant to be the interpretive agent for this moment, but every moment. And so if that consciousness, again, is, is rooted in ignorance, now is interpreting what's coming through the senses, it can only perceive that in ignorance, can it? It's the only possible view. That's why we create stress for our lives. But within the framework of the Eightfold Path, we begin to see things as they really are and can accept them as they really are, which is just as important. Meaning, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. There's nothing personal going on ever. In fact, a, 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 um, a personal experience outside of the Dhamma is a fabrication. It, it, it can't be real, it's based on something that I don't quite understand. I've, I've created a fabrication of myself in order to act to in it to um, what's the right word? Not integrate. Interface? Interface, yes. The interface with the world. But if that interface is rooted in ignorance, if that consciousness, the interpretive agent, is not working correctly, right? Because I haven't purified my mind yet. 
then my, my life is going to be stressful and I won't be in it. I won't be in the present moment. I won't be able to stay in the present moment. I won't have the wherewithal. I won't have developed it. But, and it's a, it's a big and, and, and a happy but. Ah, happy but, I guess. Um, we do this for ourselves and we can do it ourselves. A human being taught these things for other human beings to learn and integrate and practice and live their life within it. He didn't teach it for special people. He didn't teach it for somebody to find out in, in a, a million years from now what he what he taught. He taught, wake up right here, right now. Live this life. It's the only human life we ever get. And if you think you might get another life in that somehow, okay, but you know, I wouldn't bank on it. This is the moment to be alive. So it's teaching you to be sensitive and not attached to it. To this moment, yeah. That you can be sensitive to the pleasure, you can be sensitive to the pain and not attached. So therefore, you're just, therefore you're cognizing, you're seeing in a purest form because you're not meaning it to be anything different. Yeah, yeah. It's just what's occurring, right? And it also, just what's occurring is also characterized by, and it can't be any different. There's nothing personal. What I, I, I say this you know, sometimes in class. To want what is occurring to be any different than it is, is has a touch of insanity to it, doesn't it? Because it can't be any different. Here it is. It's what's happening. Uh, if, I, if I find myself at uh, 18 years old and five foot seven and slow of foot, I should accept the fact that I'm not going to play center field for the Yankees. But I didn't accept it. You know, the, what was occurring in my life was unacceptable to me. And a lot of things were unacceptable. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like where I was living. I didn't like these guys that worked for me. There was a lot of things that I didn't like. And I'd go to bed and I'd think about all the things I don't like. And I'd wake up the next morning and hear all these things that I don't like. And I couldn't change them. They were just there. They were, they were necessary parts of my life, I thought, until I started to regain control of my mind through the Buddha's Dhamma and started letting go of these things that I didn't have to carry around, these things that I didn't like. These things that in the Desiderata, a vexation of the spirit, but I was clung to them. They were part of my identity. And then one day I realized I can just let them all go because they're not reflective of this moment. So if you ever get caught up in, the, in, in something that you feel like you can't really manage, take a breath and think about what's actually occurring. What's going on in this present moment? Because in this present moment, when you're in control of your mind, there's no stress. There might be something that needs an immediate attention, but you'll be able to handle that. And if you don't, there's another moment. And there's another moment. But don't forget that at some point, every human being runs out of moments to awaken. So I'm not trying to, to uh, put some gloom on this. But waking up is what we're doing here. It's kind of the point. Right, Tracy? Tracy, do you mind being on camera? No. Here's Tracy. Hello. Um... The only, um, 
I guess the thing that's coming to mind as I hear this sutta and I meditated today with the group is like there's this feeling of just a lot of responsibility and it and then like and that is the exact reason I think at least for me that I've not woken up right because it's like to wake up requires that letting go is is a lot of responsibility I feel like like you have to be present because like you said we don't get moments forever yeah. and it's like it's like a, it's a little heavy that you know feels a little heavy not, yeah. not to say that I'm not <laughs> fit for the task but no 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 it's a little you know that's the feeling I'm getting which you know is a feeling it will pass but yeah, it's just a lot. It, it, it seems, it can seem very overwhelming because you're also looking at, you can't help but be looking at this whole thing that you have to do. But that whole thing is really just one thing. And so as you continue your practice, um, you hear me say over and over again to be very gentle with yourself. This is why, because it can seem like a big bird. It can seem overwhelming. What we're, what we're really doing, what we're letting go of is everything that we are. And that can be terrifying at times. But what we are, what we think we are, is not what we are. You know, we're, we're, we're something much more pure than that. And that's realized in this moment. And it can never be realized when I'm stuck in eye making, you know. Here's, here's the me that I want you to see. All right? Don't, don't look behind that man in a curtain. Don't look behind that curtain. You know, that kind of thing. So be gentle with yourself, Tracy. Recognize that those things that you're thinking are related to your learning the Dhamma. Um, there's times when it might seem like complete annihilation. And what do you do then? Is you take a breath. Because what, where you're going and what you're left with is you. You know? And I would say, and not, I'm not saying this to you directly, where, where we're going is, is to us if we have the courage to get there. Because it does take a lot of courage. You know, it does. And that's why, you know, that's why we have a warm and welcoming sangha to support each other in this, you know, this task that can seem almost impossible at times. But then it, it, it seems very gentle and easy and matter of fact at other times, doesn't it? Thank you, Tracy. Hello, Zach. And John, thanks for teaching. Hello, sangha. After weeks yeah um, well, my first my first time with the sangha john i was extending an analogy and you said don't take it so far i <laughs> said <laughs> this guy is not going to put up with my bs um so i'm not going to extend this analogy too far but <laughs> um or at all but i just yeah i'll just come back to uh, how far I feel like I've come in the, in the three or four months that we've been working. Yeah, you have come a long way. Uh, it's allowed me to be really present for my life. It's pretty wonderful. So, yeah, good timing for you and Julia to be present for your wedding. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad at yeah, all. Let, let's, hear from, let's hear from Julia. Hello, Julia. Hello. Hi, Sangha. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, John, for the teaching. Um, 
I am feeling like consciousness is a little bit slippery for me in this teaching because it came up in a few different places. Yeah. Uh, it was an analogy for the fortress wall. Oh, the sixth head space was the six walls with the six gates. Yeah. But then it was also the guard, the gatekeeper. And so not getting too caught up in this details here. Okay. It strikes me that the um, interpretive agent through which we understand our senses in the present moment provides us with, this is like so such a simple statement, but it provides us with so much material to consider. Like, of course it does, your consciousness. But I think it's just resonating with me through this teaching that in the same way that your consciousness is both the fortress and the gatekeeper, so your consciousness in the real world is, it can be a sieve, it can be a, like, my little dictionary. It's just, it serves a lot of purposes and you can be really skillful in how you use it or you can be less concentrated yeah. or unskillful in how you conscious yeah. things. That was cool for me. Yeah, and, and that um, it points to a mind united in its body, mm. right? When the, when the mind is united in its body, the simile is consciousness is now in its spot as the commander of the fortress in the center square, right? And that's where we bring ourselves. It's up to us though to get there, isn't it? You know, and how do we, and how do we get there? What, what path do we follow? The eightfold path, you know, in and out, right? The, the metaphor is both we travel along the eightfold path. So I'm, I'm trying to make this construct picture. So my consciousness is going both ways, right? And it's also, at, at, while my mind is engaging in the world, which we have to do, we're human beings, we live in, within the world, as my, as my concentration deepens, now I can also provide the refined mindfulness to see what's occurring accurately. I'm not scattered. I'm not distracted by what I want this to be. I'm simply present for what it is. And that does take a lot of concentration but not superhuman concentration, right? It's just human concentration. The Buddha taught human beings. He taught us, you know, nothing special. If you want to do it, we do it. You know, if we want to learn this crazy thing that allows us to be calm and peaceful, no matter what's occurring, to actually live our life as it's meant to be. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Matt because a question arose. Matt, here's the question to you. Maybe... Maybe it's too much to answer. What was it like being present for this, like a really significant time in your life? I mean, a lot of things went on. Matt's first firstborn is going out to school for the first time and uh, a lot going on. How was it being present for all that? If I can ask you to talk about that. Uh, well, you know, there's, there's, a richness to experience that we have as as humans in a mind united in its body. Yeah. So we have 
lots of feelings and thoughts and sensations and those things are coming and going all the time some with greater intensity some with less and being present for that means that i'm going to be affected by that yeah. as it comes and goes and as uh, as i'm drawn towards these sensations and drawn towards these feelings and drawn towards these dreams and all kinds of things i'm gonna i'm i'm watching myself develop expectations and develop more feelings and develop attitudes and develop uh you know sometimes strong aversions to things and that's that's what being present for the for my life as it occurs means I'm, I'm going to experience this continuous arising and passing way of phenomena that's that's coming through my sense with a magic carpet right just... <laughs> what you know, could without this ever be right just to make that point you're describing um you're, you're just describing developed dharma practice yeah. this is what this is what life is it doesn't change life at all does no, it no but it, it it drastically changes. Drastically changes our experience of it. It does, and you know, part of what John was saying about being gentle with ourselves when when we experience this, you know, wild ride of whatever life is giving us at this particular time, which is different for all of us in different times. Um, when we when we use the eightfold path as the framework for our lives, we have something to come back to. We have something to take a breath and come back to, and look at what's occurring, and reorient ourselves in that way in a practical way in a practical way and you know i i hope what i'm getting across is that it's very normal and natural to to experience life life <laughs> which is full of emotions and feelings and thoughts and sensations and all of these things so there, there's do that with instead of understanding the Four Noble Truths, the ignorance of it and how that would look. Yeah, and you know... Can you when, yeah, even think of what your life would have been like? When ignorant if, of that, of, of Four Noble Truths and experiencing the nonstop tumult of married life, family life, work life, uh, you know, all these kinds of things, There's there's a lot more stress. There's a lot more stress, and there's a lot more um, one of the things the Buddha talks about is is the pain of ignorance. So if I'm if I'm ignorant of four noble truths, and I'm in my life, 
and I don't understand that 99.99999% of the stress that I'm experiencing, I'm causing, <laughs> then it hurts. You, you hurt way more. You hurt a lot more and you hurt other people a lot more. And, you know, then we can get into all kinds of stuff like drugs, alcohol, any, any kind of escapist entertainment that you can think of. Anti-social media. Yeah. Anything to, to, to numb the, the constant and incessant need to establish myself in every object event view idea that I have. That's if I don't understand. Yeah, so I'm going to ask, so what did you do? I had to take to the Dhamma, you know, and I had to, to, to start to see and understand my contribution to stress of my life. What, what is my contribution to the stress that's occurring in my life? And I understood my contribution to the stress that's occurring in my life by understanding Four Noble Truths and by practicing the Eightfold Path. And in that way, I can accept my life as it occurs with all of these feelings and thoughts and sensations and emotions and change and children growing up and, all, and leaving the nest and all kinds of stuff and not take it personally. And that last is where courage comes in. It's not, it's not some fantastic courage. It's not a fantasy type of courage. It's a courage based on your own convictions, and based on your own understandings. That, that's the difference between the Buddha's Dhamma and, and a faith. I'm not, I'm not putting down faith-based religion, but there's a significant difference, and it is just that. This, we don't do anything here on faith. And the reason why we, we come back to the, how is our practice working for us and what Matt is describing is just that. Our practice, we become, the Buddha would say, says this often, so we say it often, we become what, what you're describing, rightly self-awakened. Self rightly self-awakened. We do it ourselves. No one else can do it for us. But that's, the, that's one of the most liberating thoughts I've ever come across when I was, is I get to do this myself. Because you know, I, I mean, most of us like to do things ourselves. And that's why we take to the Dhamma. And you're describing it. And just because your life was incredibly, I'd say it could have been chaotic, but you had the courage to not get caught up in it. Yeah. That's style of practice. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing all that. You know, and, and to, to me that, I mean, this is, I hope this is, I hope, I hope because I love laughing and crying a bit, but that's okay. I wrote you a little letter. I don't know if it meant anything to you or not, but the reason why I wrote that is just to just kind of tell you, pay attention, man. This is the most important part of your life right now. You know, this whole thing you went through, the family all taking this great trip to Ireland and Aldo leaving the nest, and a lot of stuff going on. Be present for it. This is life. You're doing a pretty good job of it, my friend. Thanks. Hello, David. Hello, John. So what Matt described was the answer to what Tracy was concerned with. Yeah. This is simply allowing you to wisely be present for each moment. Yeah. Not every moment, because some of them just fly by, but you're 
you're able to wisely, skillfully be present at that moment. Yeah. And the things you're giving up is just this false thing that you've propped up your whole life. Yeah. And what's left behind is just the ability to see things in right view. And that's based on the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. It, everything has to have that foundation of that. And that's where right view comes in. Yeah. And it's light lifting. Once you realize that it's not yeah. this thing I'm giving up or I've lost. Because what's left is this couple that just went through this traumatic, exciting thing and they were present for it. Yeah. And that's and that's every moment. Yeah. The Buddha taught the first noble truth. He made this incredibly declarative statement. He said, there is dukkha. First noble truth. A little bit longer way of saying it is, is that as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress. He didn't say that, that follow me and you'll never have stress again. You know, you could just set pixie dust and everything is wonderful. He didn't teach that. He didn't teach salvation. He didn't teach escape. He taught how to be deeply immersed in life without taking it personally. And that is, that's the liberating factor of the Eightfold Path. Yes, sir. Just the way that I, that, that really, Don really speaks to me is, is we, we're narrative machines. You what? We're narrative machines. That's how we're wired. Yep. And the Dhamma helps stop the narrative. Limits the narrative. It's just mm -hmm. stop. You know, when we, when we meditate, we, we go off into these areas, and Matt's ex, you know, talking about expectations and dreams. It's all narrative. It's all I'm making. And this practice yeah. says stop making the narrative and just be present. And that's where the courage that's, comes in, because it takes courage to stop the eye making. <clears throat> to really, I mean, it, it, that's, that's really the hard part of it, isn't it? For all of us, that, to recognize Wait a minute, that fabrication in me is what's causing me stress. Right. Let me get rid let me get past that. Um, and then and then we become what what can only be described as an authentic human being, right? And I interrupt again. So no, no, no. I always I, I interrupt you a lot. Okay. I think well, it's get, get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> what? I said get used to it. <laughs> I don't have That's wisdom right there. <laughs> What do you have to say, Rob? Uh, yeah, I would, uh, as uh, Matt was talking in, in a bit of it, I was reflecting on, on you know, how for the three of us that live, the whole experience of parenthood has been so so different and but still uh, for each, every one of us so intense and thank god for all three of us we had at least for a part of it the dharma there to stand upon because you know i tried to do this job without it and uh, man is it stressful <laughs> uh, but with it um this, this sense of purpose almost that, that, that the Dharma gives you 
it's a question. Man. It takes it takes so much confusion. What's the purpose of the Dharma? Well, it's just because you mentioned it. The purpose of the Dhamma is to awaken. Just to awaken. Yeah. And you yeah. and you were just describing that process. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. there, it's just there. We, yeah. we, there's things that we do. It's not awakening is not, you know, we come to enough classes and some angel gives us mm-hmm. gives us awakening. But isn't that incredible? We do it. As you apply, I've watched this creaky old mind just slowly, slowly knocking. Rama is just such a good example of right effort. You know, he, he, he didn't give up. He, I mean, you had a lot, a lot of uh, fabricated objections and maybe some real objections, but you stayed with it and you reaped the benefits. I remember that retreat. I still go back. What the hell is this eight fold path of that? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I remember. I, I once asked you, did anybody ever write a book on this? Yeah. <laughs> and John went, um, <laughs> I have a few. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Did I get there? Did I get to you? Yeah. Kevin. Unforgettable. <laughs> Unforgettable. Face is loaded, huh? Um, thanks for everybody's contributions. I, I, it was nice to hear this sutta again. It's been a long time. Um, my favorite. You know, I like how there's a direct reference to impermanence. He mentions arising yep. and passing away numerous times, and, and the swift pair of messengers, you know, bring it into the context of the study or the quality of our mind. When we yep. notice the quality of our mind, we're able to have insight into wrong views that form from ignorance of foreign truths. We're, we're yep. able to orient ourselves in our life. This is how we get through the command center. We, we're able to pierce, you know, our consciousness of which is governed by ignorance until we come to something like this. So yeah. it's it's cool how in the sutta, it's from the north, from the south, from, you know, to show you that wherever you are in your life, in yeah. the world, become you have, commander you're, you the, have the quality square. of your mind because you're aware of it, because you sit, you practice, and you have a path to follow, and you have yeah. a song that supports you. So yeah. it's about all I can do. If that made that, it out of the that park, was, that was pretty good. we that went. Was- yeah, you hit it out of the park with that. Can I ask you a quick question? Please, doesn't even have to be quick. Especially since everyone here is so experienced. Outside of meditating in the morning and the, in the evening, and you know, sometimes I listen to some of the recorded teachings. Good. Is there anything else that you do on a regular basis to remember during the day? The eightfold path when these things come up so you don't get swept away practice four foundations of mindfulness that's what i do i don't know if that's the right answer well did you, you did you begin yeah you begin you came here when we started this study didn't you yeah so you were you were at the beginning of that four foundations of mindfulness you heard the five classes on it um it might still be a little vague for you but it's a little vague but well, but as you continue your practice what Kevin is saying is always come back to those four foundations of mindfulness. My breath in the body, right? Thoughts are rising and passing away. Everything is impermanent. So this, this sutta also points to that too. I didn't talk much about it. Everything that's going on in your life is impermanent. Um, we tend to get caught up on things that are, everything's impermanent, but we want certain things to be permanent especially views we have about ourselves and others. Those are very hard to change. 
But as we come to the Dhamma and start realizing that my thoughts about myself in relation to the world aren't really correct. They're not reflective of reality. They cause stress because that, because they're not reflective of reality. So what's really occurring here? Just what's occurring. And this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. There's nothing personal about what's occurring. But that's going to take a little bit of time for you to fully understand that. But that's what we're all doing. So, again, be very gentle with yourself, Tracy. Um, the questions you ask, again, show that you're going in the right direction. It's one of the reasons why we do this. Um, Zach, you also had your hand up? I thought, no? Oh, I was going to, you know, only benefits for three, four, maybe. Yeah, three or four months now. But in the first few classes, you know, I remember David in particular saying it just, just kind of practicing and this just gradually just kind of washes over. It really does. I mean, you know, in conversations that Julie and I have now, there's so many times now one of us just like starts a question and stops. Goes, what the hell is the intention of what I'm asking? <laughs> what, what information am I seeking that's furthering an area? And then now the questions that we really don't but no really i mean it, it just it's a very subtly with practice just continues to um, yeah notice when calm is present notice yeah. when calm is not present did that answer your question tracy it's very helpful yeah. yeah thank you for asking the questions and keep keep asking the questions you know that it helps everyone because we've all been through this Thank you. Um, any other questions? Okay, great class. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. Almost always, I think we missed it once. So just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And here are the Buddha's words on Meta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, emitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, 
being free from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful fast tonight. Thank you, Thanks, John. Thanks. See you all. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Bye. Brian. Bye. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.